and welcome to the Women's Investor Community Podcast. I'm Diana Ritchie. Today, we have a listener question about divorce and home equity. Our listener writes, first, thank you. I'm newly divorced. Credit score 664. I have a home with a mortgage of 1.25 million with a value around 2 million. I cannot unlock, unlock the equity because my score is not above 680 and I have a charge off on my credit report. I'm employed, $300,000 package, $235,000 base salary. I have no savings or retirement fund. The house is it. I have $45,000 in credit card and personal loan and student loan debt. And I've tried everything to change my energy with money and I'm still stuck. I want nothing more than to figure out how to use the only asset I have to build wealth. The house is on the market, although I don't want to sell it. I feel stuck. Thank you so much for offering this option of asking a question. I'm crying typing this. And oh man, have I been there. You are newly divorced and you are looking at your finances and you're looking at your life and you're thinking, oh my gosh, it's all over. There's no way out. This is all a disaster. And there's crying and there's screaming. And it's just, it's such a difficult time. Um, and I have definitely been there. So I'm, I'm glad you wrote in. I'm really grateful you reached out. And in today's episode, we will break this down into three parts. First, we'll talk about authenticity. Second, we'll talk about money energetics. And then third, we'll talk about some practical action steps that you can take. So with that, let's dive in. Okay, part one, authenticity. I firmly believe that the universe doesn't <clears throat> give you a good rock bottom, a good sort of crisis or problem, unless it has something better in store for you. And by better, I mean something that is not only objectively better, but that is also more aligned with what is authentic to you, what is true to your soul, and, and what you really desire at a deepest level. So by way of example, um, I remember it was 2017. This was about 18 months before my divorce. And I was living in Chicago. I was living in a glass high rise. I was working as an international corporate tax lawyer for a major law firm. I was married to, you know, a doctor businessman who had started a really successful healthcare company. By all accounts, everything was really dreamy. But I can remember being just so feeling so out of alignment. It like it just didn't feel, you know, true to me. And I was pretty sad and I was feeling depressed and I wasn't exactly sure why. And I can remember one morning grabbing a pen and paper and just starting to free write about what I really wanted and what my dream life, what I wanted my dream life to look like. And these were just bullet points. These were just kind of random thoughts. And they included things like mountains, 
and having a dog. And I think I wrote down living in a tiny house in Colorado. And I tell you this because this is the exercise that I would love for you to do. Um, in order to figure out the path forward and in order to decide what to do with the house, nuts and bolts, what to do with the debt, nuts and bolts, you know, what to do with your job, these kinds of tactical financial decisions, we need to start with what's really core to you. So action item here, maybe one Saturday morning or um, one day when you have some space and some time to get a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and just kind of start, take, take a little bit of time to start free writing about what's authentic to you. Grab a pen and paper and go ahead and do that and see what comes up. And I say that because if the house, the location, the feel, the style, the size feels authentic to you, then I think the action item here is take the house off the market. Don't sell the house if it's authentic to you. We'll talk more about how to afford it later, but I'd say don't sell it if it's authentic to you. In contrast, if you do this writing exercise and the house doesn't feel authentic to you, maybe you want to move, you want a different location, you want something smaller, you want something bigger, you want less maintenance, more community, whatever it is that you're calling in, then I would say keep the house on the market and go ahead and sell it if it's not aligned with your authenticity. The other point about authenticity and the decision about what to do with the house is you mention in your question that you want to build wealth with the house because it's the, quote, only asset you have. And I'm going to push back on that a little bit because you are actually your most valuable asset in both a woo-woo sense, but also in a very tangible sense. And I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that you have a great job, a great comp package, probably a great resume, a great education, lots of skills and talents. And so let's not forget that you are your own best asset. So don't feel like this house is the only asset that you have. And the bottom line is that there are lots of ways to build wealth. Retirement accounts, stocks, bonds, investment real estate, and of course, you know, salary and savings. But in terms of building wealth with your home, I'd say that for you, especially right now, with so much in flux and so much transition, home represents stability. And I don't want us to lose sight of that either, because rather than viewing this home as an asset to build wealth, I'd say let's refocus and 
Look at the home as a place to lay your head, a place you might feel comfortable, a place where you have some stability and some comfort and a sense of consistency. So bottom line for this part one, let's let authenticity be the guiding light. Sit down, pen and paper, do some free writing, see what comes up, see what your soul is really calling in. And let's let that drive the decision on whether to sell the house or keep the house. Okay, part two, money energetics. I love what you say about money energetics and having a focus on that. And again, like I mentioned before, I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that there is a lot that's going right here. Again, you have this great comp package, you have this great job, so not all is lost from a money energetics perspective. And like for all of us, I think there's probably just some neurological junk that's rolling around in your subconscious. And this junk, this garbage, may be something along the lines of, I can't have what I want unless I do it on credit or unless I have debt. It's just one possibility. I I have no idea what's rolling around in your subconscious. I would never pretend to know. But to take this debt example, this notion of I can't have what I want, unless I'm in debt to buy it, who knows where this may have came from, where this, you know, could have shown up. For example, if you had parents or caretakers who were always in debt, maybe you learned that from a very young age and you don't want it to be your conscious story, but it's imprinted in your subconscious because you were so impressionable as a young child. And that subconscious belief about needing to take on debt in order to have what you want is still driving the ship and is still showing up in your life today. That's one example of a subconscious limiting belief that could be impacting your financial life today. Another, a second example of a subconscious limiting belief could be something as generic as, you know, you were a six-month-old infant and you were put into a daycare situation that wasn't aligned and that wasn't very supportive. And you learn from a very young age that it's difficult to trust that your needs will be taken care of. Again, I have no idea what's rolling around in your subconscious, but these are examples of subconscious limiting beliefs that could be driving your financial life today. To be clear, we are not blaming anyone. We're not blaming your parents, your caretakers, your daycare. This is not at all about blame. It's simply about going back and rewriting our own stories and working with our subconscious beliefs so that what shows up in our life today is different and shifts. Nuts and bolts, how do you clean up subconscious limiting beliefs? 
There are a lot of therapeutic modalities that will get down into your subconscious. One of the ones that I used post-divorce and that I found pretty easy and effective is a program called To Be Magnetic, which you may have heard me talk about. I will link to To Be Magnetic or TBM in the show notes. The gist of TBM is that they have an app and they have these guided meditations that you do. They last between 20 and 30 minutes and you can do them daily. You can do them several times a week, whatever fits your schedule. And you listen to this relaxing guided meditation that has this cool music that plays in the background. And starting with your inner child and your shadow beliefs, you start to shift your subconscious story. I think they charge $29 a month and they often run promo codes. So again, one of the cheapest, easiest, and most effective therapeutic modalities that I have found and that I personally used right after, shortly after my divorce. So bottom line on money energetics is let's get down into the subconscious. And that is where so much of our self-worth lies. And it can be really frustrating to try to change your relationship with money by working purely on a conscious level, by working purely with affirmations or hopes or other conscious beliefs. It can leave you feeling like you're banging your head against the wall. And I have found in my own life that things really shift and really started to move once I started working with what's rolling around in my subconscious. Because that, again, is where so much of our self-worth lies. Part three. Let's finish with a few more practical action items. Three action items here in this section. One related to housing again. One related to financial underbrush, which I'll explain, and one related to debt. So action item number one, on the house. If you decide to keep the house, the mortgage is probably about half of your monthly take-home or more. And this is a totally common side effect of divorce because when you go from having two people paying the mortgage to one person paying the mortgage, it's a much bigger chunk of your take-home pay. So what I'd say here is if this house really is authentic to you, then your focus in time will be on calling in more money. And that will come as you do the subconscious and money energetic work. If you decide to sell the house because it's not authentic to you, then you'll walk away with about $600,000 cash after closing costs and real estate taxes and the mortgage payoff, roughly give or take. That's my best estimate. Rough numbers. 
And I want you to put that money in a brokerage account and I want you to please do not touch it until you've started to work through the energetic piece. And I say that not because I believe that you're going to go on a spending binge or that you're irresponsible with money, nothing like that. I say that because there is a very real psychological phenomenon, one that I experienced after my own divorce, which is that as humans, when we get a big lump sum payout, there is a tendency to want to spend it. Um, Again, I experienced this after my divorce. Please learn from my mistakes. I mean, one example I can give is I probably spent way too much money furnishing my new condo because my divorce was a lump sum settlement. And the psychology around that is very real. So what I would caution is if you sell the house and you get this big chunk of money, do your best to hold off on making any big purchases until you start to work through this money energetics piece and can spend that lump sum and allocate that lump sum or invest it in a way that is really authentic and aligned to you. Now that said, you if you do decide to sell the house, you can use some of those proceeds to pay off high interest debt, which we'll talk about in the third part of this section. The other thing I'd say in this first part on housing is if you do sell your house, you'll of course need to find a new place to live. And very often that decision about where am I going to live? Am I going to rent? Am I going to buy? Should I buy now? What's the housing market going to do? What are interest rates going to do? that complicated life decision can leave us feeling tied up in knots because it's a big decision. And so I would say if you sell the house and you're looking for a new place, I often tell people who have just gone through a divorce that it is okay to rent for a period of time. I know that it can be demoralizing to go from American homeowner to renter. But when you are in this transition phase, there is no need to rush into a major financial decision like buying a new house. And it is perfectly okay to rent. Even if you're worried about what the housing market's going to do, I'd say give yourself some grace and If renting feels like the right thing, that's a perfectly reasonable transition decision. Okay, piece number two here on action steps. Clear out financial underbrush. What I mean by that is cut any expenses that don't align with your authenticity. And cutting spending here is not about deprivation or gripping or extreme self-discipline. It's a realignment with authenticity, 
what we explored in part one. And I believe that from a universal energetics perspective, the universe doesn't really care about the magnitude of the spending cut. In other words, canceling a magazine subscription that's costing you $2 a month and canceling a club membership that's costing you $25,000 a year is in some ways the same from an energetic perspective insofar as cutting things that aren't aligned with your authenticity, clearing them out, is a signal to the universe that you are ready to receive things that are more aligned with what's true to you. So clearing out financial underbrush, cutting expenses that aren't aligned with your authenticity, serves a twofold purpose. One, helps you save money, which is great. And two, it helps create energetic space for what you really do want in your life. So I'd say grab a pen and paper, take inventory of what's not aligned, whether these are expenditures, material objects, even relationships or friendships that you've outgrown, and start to clear the underbrush to create energetic space. And then number three here in this part three, tangible action items, is pay off debt. You mentioned that you have about $45,000 in credit card and personal loan and student loan debt. And I think step one here is let's, insofar as we can, try to deal with the charge off on your credit report because that can really be hard on your credit score. So as you probably know, in in looking at this charge off, the first question to ask is, is it accurate? Because it's not out of the question that a lender would put something that's inaccurate on your credit report. So baseline, do you owe the debt? Did they get the numbers right? It's the first question to ask. Because if it's inaccurate, you can challenge the charge off on those grounds. If the charge is accurate, then the next question to ask is, has the original lender sent this charge off to collections? Or is the original lender still holding the debt? Because if the original lender is still holding the debt, then you might be able to call them and say, hey, I'd like to make a payment on this, but my payment is contingent on you taking this off of my credit report, which is often called pay for delete, or to use plain English, simply say to them, I'll pay it, or I'll I'll pay what I can on it, but I want you to take it off my credit report. It doesn't always work, but it's worth trying to negotiate with the original lender. In contrast, 
if this charge-off has gone to a collection agency, you still have the opportunity to settle the debt for less. And it could be more difficult to have the charge-off disappear completely from your credit report, but it's still worth asking the question. Because, again, if you can get this charge-off off your credit report, it's all the better. If you can settle the debt for less than it's worth, that's also great because it, because it gets the monkey off your back. So step number one on debt is take a look at the charge-off and try to negotiate it. Because again, as you know, it can be hard on your credit score. From there, I'd say take a look at the other debt and again, grab a pen and paper and rank the different loans that you have by interest rate from highest to lowest. And then as you plan to pay them off, you're going to want to tackle the loan with the highest interest rate first, which very well may be your credit card debt rather than, say, your student loan debt. And my rule of thumb on debt is not all debt is bad. Generally right now, I like an 8% rule, meaning if you have a loan that has an annual interest rate of more than 8%, prioritize paying that one off because it's a high interest loan. But if you have a loan, like a student loan or a mortgage, that has a favorable rate less than 8%, maybe it's 3 4 5%, don't feel any particular rush to pay that debt off. In other words, bottom line on this $45,000 of debt is rank it to see where the high interest debt is. And don't feel like you need to pay off all $45,000 tomorrow because not all debt is bad. Focus just and first on the high interest piece, the loans that have an annual interest rate of 8% or more right now. And don't worry so much about paying off the loans that have a lower interest rate. So bottom line on debt I'd say deal with the charge-off first to try to protect your credit score and then tackle the other loans from highest to lowest interest rate. So in conclusion, big picture, zooming out. I know I've thrown a lot at you and I just want to really bring this home by saying, again, don't waste a good crisis because I truly believe that as hard as these transition periods are, as hard as divorce can be, as much emotional turmoil as you are probably experiencing right now and as much you know, pain and hurt as you're experiencing right now, I do genuinely believe that you will come out the other side of this stronger. Because I don't think that the universe gives us these kinds of challenges, these kinds of rock bottom moments, for lack of a better word, or 
what can feel like rock bottom moments. Unless it has something more aligned, more authentic in store for us. So let that be your guiding light. Um, I'm so glad that you reached out. And certainly if you have any follow-up questions, um, feel free to drop us a question. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Women's Investor Community Podcast. Of course, if you have questions about money or your personal finances, please feel free to drop us a voice note from the homepage at dianaritchie.com.